From KUNR Reno Public Radio, this is Priced Out. A podcast about affordable housing. I'm Joey Lovato. And I'm Breeze Under. And this week's episode of Priced Out, we have two pieces from reporters Jacob Solis and Noah Glick talking about student housing and looking at the impact the market has had on developers. That's right. Jacob talks about how in the last few years, the University of Nevada, Reno, saw growth in its enrollment numbers. This is in contrast to enrollment nationwide, which has been dropping. As more students come to UNR, there are fewer and fewer places to live, leading to a housing shortage. Later, we will chat with Noah about how less and less homes are being built in the area, and he will explain how the housing supply in the region is far below demand. This shortage has led to rapid rises in cost, which leads to a demand for development in the area, but builders have had trouble keeping up. Whether it's finding housing for a growing population of students or building housing for a growing demand, the answers are never as simple as we'd hope. It's the week before finals, and Shayna Bird is studying inside UNR's student union. She's a senior at UNR, and she lived in university residence halls for two years before heading off campus in search of cheaper living arrangements. But these days, the savings have been getting a little slimmer. So I've been living off campus for two years. I've seen rent increase about, I'd say, $50 to $60 just where I've been living. What's happening to Shayna is happening to other students, too, as many watch their rents crawl up year by year. And as housing costs rise, the other costs of going to college, tuition, books, even food, aren't getting any cheaper. As price increased that this last year, um, it's definitely been kind of a factor into whether I can pay for my food for a month or if I pay for my car, my gas, or rent. It's difficult to quantify how many students struggle to pay for food because of housing. But the people working with food insecure students are seeing a change. Brittany Brown is the student director of the campus food pantry, Pack Provisions, which saw 140% more students use their service this year compared to last. As housing prices are going up, so they're just going to struggle more. Um, and one of the first things people usually cut is like their budget for food. As students grapple with housing, the university is in the middle of a sustained wave of population growth. A decade ago, there were little more than 16,000 students at UNR. Today, that number is north of 20,000. A fraction of them, 3,000, live on campus, most of them freshmen. And while the university has added about 1,000 beds in five years, its resources were still stretched thin by a few extra-large freshman classes. We've had uh, more demand than spaces available the last few years, so we've had to restrict our returning students uh, wanting to live on campus. And we've had to triple some of the rooms that were set up for double occupancy. That was Rod Eshleman, Executive Director of Residential Life, Housing, and Food Services at UNR. He says things have stabilized these days, with more consistent freshman class sizes and the coming addition of another dorm, Great Basin, in the fall. But there are still 18,000 students not on campus, and they need a place to live. Doug McIntyre, president of the Reno Sparks Association of Realtors, says that demand is playing a large role in price increases, both near UNR and in downtown. Pretty much all of the property around the university within walking distance is, is pretty much taken, or they are currently building on those sites. McIntyre says that as both businesses and students keep moving to the university and downtown area, Reno will need not just new housing, but affordable options in order to keep up. He says expect it to be an issue for at least the next few years. Jacob Solis, Reno Public Radio News.
All right, so we just listened to your story, Jacob. Um, one of the things that you mentioned right off, like in the middle of your story, is that it's difficult to tell the numbers of the people that are struggling with housing, especially with students. Um, why is that? So it's not even just that how it, it's not a difficult thing to tell how many students are struggling with housing. It's there's little institutional data to see how struggling with housing affects other sort of financial areas of students' life. So in that specific instance, right, is housing, are housing costs cutting into the ability of students to pay for food? And the answer is right now we don't know. Um, the UNR is working on a study uh, to find out just this. Um, that's going to be available next month, but that'll be the first time uh, so far that the university has even looked into this very specific link between housing and food insecurity. So a few years ago, uh, UNR had been admitting or at least enrolled 16,000 students, and then today that's 20,000. Is that right? Right. So about 10 years ago, it was like 16,500. And okay. today it's a little over 20,000. Why not just admit less students? So that's a good question. And a lot of that has to do with the it's not in the university's best interest to admit fewer students. So in 2011, they changed the funding formula. So basically, UNR can only get as much money as it brings in from tuition, from the people it admits. So it has an incentive to grow. Um, and honestly, from UNR's perspective, this is great because nationwide for the last five-ish years, um, enrollment's been going down steadily, about 1% to 2% every year at institutions across the country. And so if UNR, you know, from 2014 to today can maintain between 2 and 5% growth, that's great. They're into that. And a lot of students do have mom and dad to help. I talked to a bunch who were like, honestly, just not struggling because their financial situation is fine. And that's a lot of students at UNR because a lot of students come from California or even like Hawaii, places that do have higher costs of living, where Reno, despite the fact that the cost of living is going up here, it is still so far below, you know, the insanity that is California housing. Uh, so it's not a problem. It's not a problem for these people. But there are people who rely on things like the Pell Grant, who rely on need-based financial aid. Um, they're essentially on a fixed income. And when things change, when tuition is more expensive, when books are $500, when you still have to pay for food and your rent is going up, that's when things get dicey. There's a new, there's a new development just to the west side of campus that is going to have 750 beds, 250 rooms. It's going to be huge. And, you know, if it takes two years for a private developer to build 700 beds and five years for the university to build 1,000, I mean, that's that's, I think, emblematic of the larger problem in that the university is hamstrung in the ways that it can choose to build new buildings and the way that it can bond out these new buildings and in the places that it can build them. The, the university right now does not have more plans to expand its housing operation. They're sort of counting on this enrollment expansion to be steady enough for it not to matter because the universe, from the university's perspective, it is let us only handle freshmen. As long as we only have to handle freshmen and maybe some small percentage of returning upperclassmen, we don't need to worry about building new housing because as long as freshman classes are the same, it's not a problem. So, so Jacob, you talked about the university and what they're doing for the housing problem in the area, but uh, our other reporter, Noah Glick, who is here with us right now, you... You talked to developers, and what are the developers doing outside of, you know, like the freshman housing um, for the university and then also outside of the university? 
Well, I think based on what Jacob is saying about the university, I mean, I think there's a lot of expectation for private developers to come in and sort of address the issue of upperclassmen around the university and and beyond. Um, the the challenge, you know, and you touched on it, is is land. That's a that's a major problem here. Is we don't have a lot of land, especially in the city of Reno. Uh, I spoke with city council member Paul McKenzie, and he said. A lot of the land that Reno owns right now is uh, zoned for open space to protect drainages and that sort of thing. So it's it's really problematic right now. The, the city of Reno doesn't have a ton of land to use. Um, and so when you're looking at the university and their, I guess, their goals to only provide housing for freshmen, it's it's going to naturally fall then onto private development to, to sort of take on the charge of providing housing for the rest of folks here. I mean, these are the sorts of projects that developers love, right? I mean, the idea that a lot of students are coming in and whether they're they're living on financial aid or they're living on student loans, I mean, it's kind of temporary money for a lot of these students who are living here. That's probably why a lot of folks are are saying, well, I don't feel struggling. I'm kind of curious, you know, to, to put it in perspective, if somebody's never been to Reno or Nevada, like, you know, I, I came from in and out of state. I didn't visit Nevada until I was 23 years old. My idea of Nevada was wide open spaces, and this kind of contradicts that view. You know? Well, it does and it doesn't. I mean, Nevada is, as a state, is very much wide open mm-hmm. spaces with two urban centers, essentially, right? You've got Vegas and you've got Reno. What's interesting specifically about Reno in terms of housing is be, when we're talking land is we are in a valley. We are surrounded by mountains. I also spoke with Doug McIntyre from the Reno Sparks Association of Realtors, and he, he said that's one of the biggest challenges in building right now is we don't have the opportunity to sprawl out our housing like other areas do, like Vegas does or say like Salt Lake City or Boise, some of these other areas that may have more wide open space that they can play with. And, and Reno, within the city limits. Right. Mean? Yeah, within the city limits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're already seeing a lot of growth in bedroom communities like Carson City and Fernley and those sort of things. And housing prices are going up there as well. So that's kind of where the opportunity is right now for a lot of development projects. Uh, Noah, do you want to explain your, your story a little bit, kind of going from the, you know, student housing problem to, you know, the de- like from the developer side? You know, my story, I really was curious to know what challenges do developers face when they're coming in to the region because, you know, you, you talk to people and I think I think people want more options and they want more housing and they want more affordable options. But, you know, I think there's this there's this idea of like, well, why don't we just have developers build more? Like, what's what's the deal, right? I mean, but there's a lot of challenges to that. I mean, I mean, just looking at one issue of com- community input, um, I had one of the heads of the Builders Association he told me that, you know, if you want to really rile up a community group, you know, tell them you want to build a housing complex next to their neighborhood. And then if and then try to tell them that it's high density and then they get really mad, then tell them it's affordable high density and they go through the roof. I mean, it's people want housing, but they don't necessarily want it near next them. them. Right. So, you know, I think there's there's still this idea of there, there's a lot of challenges to development that I go into in my story, primarily with costs, you know, of land, labor, materials, fees, water, um, that sort of thing. But there are also just sort of these um, unconscious or subconscious sort of, I guess, ideas around development that Nevada is that wild west and that wide open space. And people don't want to see Reno change into more of a city. But a lot of the local leaders I talk to say, like, we have to really start thinking about that. And the city of Reno in their new master plan, they're calling for more high density buildings. They're looking, they want more infill in the city. They want more walkability. They they really want to try to turn this city into more of a traditional city that's vibrant and not so much as kind of like a sleepy casino town that people visit. Well, thanks, Noah. Thanks for being here and sharing your thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jacob, for being here as well. Thank you. 
If you drive around Reno, chances are you'll run into a construction site of some sort. For example, this crew is working on a luxury residential complex as part of the Ranchera Plant community. This one is building semi-custom single-family homes off Del Monte Lane. And this crew is building luxury apartments for residents 55 years and older. Don Tatro is the executive director of the Builders Association of Northern Nevada. While people are saying, wow, there's so much building going on, it's crazy, they're everywhere, they're really not. Last year there were 2,133 single-family permits pulled in Washoe County. That's about 900 below our average. So we're not even keeping up with averages. There are several factors that have led to this shortage in supply. The construction industry is facing a labor shortage nationwide. Many projects that were planned for and zoned before the Great Recession have yet to be developed, and the costs of projects are going up. The newly approved City of Reno Master Plan calls for an increase in housing options and a push for more density. Tatro says last year was the first that housing permits for apartments and condos actually outnumbered those for traditional homes. Last year it was interesting. It was the first year ever since we've been tracking permits that I've seen multifamily exceed the number of single-family permits. Usually it's about 10 to 20 percent of the total single-family homes built. Last year it was about 110 percent. When it comes to cost, there are four major expenses developers face in building. Land, labor, materials, and fees. Much of those costs are based on external forces, such as natural disasters or tariffs on lumber and steel. But Tatro says government does have some control over fees. To build a single-family house in Washoe County, your fees and permits will run you about thirty dollars to $40,000. The city of Reno says fees are much less for a multifamily affordable housing project, closer to $11,000 per unit. But another major cost is time. Tatro says projects can take up to four years to get full approval, after permits, fees, zoning, and community input are all taken into account. And that time adds up. The borrowing cost doesn't stop. If you purchased land and you're paying $100,000 a month for that purchase, it doesn't stop because you're delayed somewhere. Those costs become prohibitive when trying to build obtainable workforce housing. Eddie Holt is director of Nevada Development for La Casa Development, a nonprofit affordable housing builder. He says the only way to pass affordability onto the consumer is to beg for discounts on all his building expenses. I don't build the houses any cheaper than the market rate guy does. I have the same exact material qualities, specs, everything. So that means I have to go out and it's my fees and my other things I've got to try to get discounts on to be able to bring that discount to the customer. For Holt, lending is harder to come by now than it was before the Great Recession, with many developers forced to get financing from private investors that come with steeper returns and higher cost to consumers. And that makes it less enticing for for-profit developers to build below-market housing. But he says there is a way to get there. Two things. Either give them discounts they know they can get to the affordable housing so they can provide it, and it's in a market that's not so competitive, or someone has to basically force you to do it. The city of Reno is exploring a few ideas. Councilman Paul McKenzie says one option is inclusionary zoning. That would require all housing projects to offer a certain percentage of housing below market rate for people making a fraction of the annual median income, or AMI. If you've got a developer that says he can't make it work in his project, then you let him build 100% AMI housing across the board, but he needs to pay into a fund to support affordable housing. The city is also considering a community land trust, where housing could be built on city-owned land and leased to home buyers at a lower price. That could allow more consumers to get into housing and take a significant cost away from developers.
I think this land trust and, and taking the price of property out of the out of the mix is is one of the things that we can do that actually move the needle a little bit on affordable housing. McKenzie says ultimately the best solution is money. But with property tax capped at a 3% increase per year, the city of Reno relies more heavily on development fees to pay for the impacts of growth, such as sewers, roads, and schools. Most of the revenue that we had over the years to assist in creating affordable housing projects was federal money. And in the environment today, there's not federal money available to help with that, that idea. Tony Ramirez is the field office director for the U.S. Housing and Urban Development Office in Reno. He says money from the federal government and the state can create between 60 and 90 new affordable housing units a year, defined as Section 8 subsidized housing, far below what's needed. HUD supports probably close to five to 6,000 units of affordable housing annually with HUD dollars coming into the community, but that's just to support the existing units. Ramirez says locally, HUD works as a convener to bring various stakeholders together to discuss the issue and to find solutions. He adds the only way to fill the need is through more partnerships. Nevada is one of the states in general, if you look across the country, that really doesn't have a lot of incentive programs at the state or local levels to to promote affordable housing development. So that's one of the things that I think really needs to be looked at. Cities across the country are facing similar challenges, and many are looking for creative solutions, from lease-to-own models to rethinking land use to help address this issue. And as population numbers continue to surge in northern Nevada, local leaders are forced to find their own answers to a growing problem. Noah Glick, Reno Public Radio News. Thank you for listening to this episode of Priced Out. If you would like to learn more about the series and see pictures and videos, you can visit our website at KUNR.org. The music in today's episode was by Rolls-Wee and Freedom Trail Studio. Our original theme song, which you are hearing right now, is by the band People With Bodies. And a special shout out to the Michelles. Our wonderful editor is Michelle Billman, and our digital producer is Michelle Matus. Today's story was reported by Jacob Solis and Noah Glick. I'm Bree Zender. And I'm Joey Lovato. Thank you for listening.